Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Our series is titled Promises and Power. It focuses on Israel capturing the promised land, guided by a new leader, Joshua. Today, you'll hear how God led Israel through the dry Jordan Riverbed and into the promised land. This episode is titled Crossing. Here's Senior Pastor Perry Duggar. Are any of you standing on God's faithfulness right now? Unless he holds you up, you will fall. We continue our series, our message series, Promises and Power. And each week I explain what that title means. It's that when we trust in God's promises, how many of you are trusting in a specific promise of God right now? Let me see your hands. You're holding on to a specific one. Yes. When we trust in God's promises, he provides the power that's needed to fulfill not our plans, not our ambitions, his plans, his purposes. The title of today's message is Crossing, and it refers to crossing the Jordan River to enter the promised land. Theme verse, each week I try to give you a verse that will sort of turn our minds toward what we'll deal with that day. And it's on your outline, on the top of your outline. It's from Joshua chapter 3. Today we'll be in Joshua chapters 3 and 4. In verse 11, the Lord of the whole earth will lead you across the Jordan River. The word Jordan, probably in Hebrew, it's more like Jordan in a southern accent. But Hebrew, in Hebrew, it means descending or downward. And the Jordan River is the lowest river in elevation of any in the world. And it drops 600 feet over 65 miles from the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias, to the Dead Sea, and the Dead Sea is the lowest spot on the earth. You see a map behind. I've been to the promised land a couple of times. It's something that, to put down in your hope book, something that you're in your bucket list, but that's a little morbid, but something to do at least once in your life. Some of us today are facing flooded rivers. Something you have to cross and you don't know how you will do it. Anybody there? There may be an obstacle that you have to climb over, a barrier you must push through, something you're aware of. And as I'm saying this, it's coming to mind It's something that's preventing you from accomplishing a very clear assignment you have from God. Now, it may be in an assignment that will change your life. It might be a step you must take to improve a relationship, perhaps one that's been damaged, needs to be rebuilt. 
It might be something you need to do or something you need to say to prevent damage or hardship from occurring in someone else's life. It's not easy to say what you ought to say, is it? At times. But these barriers are preventing our progress and we must discover how to push through, how to climb over these barriers. And so from this passage, I've drawn out some requirements, just three, requirements for facing a challenge. So as I'm speaking, have you identified the personal hurdle, the flooded river, the barricade that you are encountering? Encountering. How many of you have? There's something that you're facing right now. Well, hold on to it. And let's see how this passage applies to you personally. You say, well, how can... Hebrews going through the Jordan River so long ago apply to me because everything that was written down was written down because it will apply to all of us today. Because people haven't changed. God hasn't changed. And God's interaction with people has not changed. So the first The first step, the first requirement is to resolve to follow God. Chapter three, verse one, as I said, page 161 in this Bible available here. Early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites left Acacia Grove. It may say in your translation, Shittim, because that's the Hebrew. And arrived at the banks of the Jordan River. 10 miles away. And this was an all day trip for these people where they camped before crossing. Now, parting the Red Sea had happened how many years before? 40 years before. How many people remembered it from this crowd that's about to cross the Jordan? Who were they? Only Joshua and Caleb. So remember, this was a miracle, a wonder-working miracle, but it happened four years, 40 years before. And all of those that experienced it, save for two, had died out. So as these people arrive at the bank of the Jordan, they must have wondered, how will we cross this river? River was five to 10 feet deep, it was raging at the time they approached it. And they had children, they had possessions, they had livestock. How did they get them? Speak louder, if you have courage. Huh? Yeah, but how did they get them? In, how did they get these possessions? These were slaves. Yes, they brought them with them. And the Pharaoh was so intimidated of these people, he told them to get out and take everything they had accumulated. So they left with all their possessions, meager, but they had livestock because they had lived in Egypt for 
do you know how many years? Yeah, or 430 specifically. Exodus 12 tells us that. Continue in verse two. Three days later, so this crowd was allowed to rest. The Israelite officers went through the camp giving these instructions to the people. When you see the Levitical priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God. Okay, which Levitical priest carried the Ark? Now, this is a hard one. Because see, there was only one specific family that carried the articles from the, from the tabernacle and from the temple. They were from the family of Kohath. So they were called Kohathites. And they carried the Ark and other items using poles that were cut from an acacia tree. Numbers 7, nine, verse 9. Here's what the Ark looked like. This is a very good image of the ark. This is not a photograph of the actual ark, by the way. But the ark, according to the biblical measurements, was 45 inches long. Now this, this may be a little bit inaccurate here because the ark was only 27 inches high and 27 inches wide. And then it says, move out from your positions and follow them. The ark, as you see, it's covered with gold, but it's covered with gold on the outside and the inside. And this ark is probably the most significant word that appears in these two chapters. It appears 16 different times. And the ark of the covenant symbolized what? Yeah. It represented God, but even more particularly, the presence of God. That's a little different than representing God, isn't it? The presence of God touched down at the top of the ark. Now, these, got, these were slaves for 430 years. How did they get gold? Because I want to say, you know, a skeptic would say, come on. What are slaves doing with all this? Where would they get this gold? Do you know? Who gave it to them? The Egyptians. In fact, Exodus 12, beginning in verse 35, Moses told them, okay, you know, they're driving us out. Grab your food, grab your possessions. Don't put leaven in the, in the bread yet because we don't have time to wait for it to rise. We're going to run out of here. But before you go, Ask the Egyptians to give you gold, silver, and clothing. Do you know that? And God made them give it. You know that stingy person you need some help from? You need to plead less and pray more. What was inside the ark? Three things. Four things, but three different Ten Commandments, which is two tablets. Gold jar of manna, and I heard over here, Aaron's rod that budded. Three things. You can find that in Exodus 25. You can find it in Hebrews 9.4. Now, the ark, blood from the sacrifices on the Day of Atonement was dropped on the 
top of this ark. Now the ark, the top of the ark was called the atonement cover, but it had another title. What was it? Somebody said it over here. Y'all are talking like this, so you. Yeah, the mercy seat, the mercy seat. Also the throne of God, it's referred to. But the one day that this sacrifice, the blood was poured on the top of this ark, what day was it? One day a year. Day of atonement, which in Hebrew is what? Yom Kippur, Leviticus 16. The, 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 this ark was kept in the tabernacle and later in the temple behind the Holy of Holies curtain. Only one person was able to go per year behind the curtain to apply this blood of this sacrifice. Verse four. So that's a little background on the ark. Since you have never traveled this way before. Now, is he talking about walking east? No. He's talking about walking through a body of water that's going to be divided and dried up because none of these people had witnessed it except for Caleb and Joshua, only those two. Since you've never traveled this way before, they, the priest, will guide you. Stay about a half mile behind them, keeping a clear distance between you and the ark. Make sure you don't come any closer. Why? Who died? What's his name? Close. Uzzah. Uzzah touched the ark when it was being brought back because the oxen stumbled. It was put in a cart, which was wrong too. And Uzzah reached out to steady it. Seemed like a good thing. God struck him dead. 2 Samuel 6, 1 Chronicles chapter 3. But there's another reason not to get too close. A practical reason. So you could see. You ever notice you're trying to see something that's not that big and there's so many people around you can't see? So you have to get back to be able to see what you're headed toward. Chapter five, I mean, verse five. Then Joshua told the people, purify yourselves, perhaps by bathing, certainly by prayer and repentance. For tomorrow, the Lord will do great wonders among you. Those of us that need a miracle, I wonder whether this advice would apply to us. I think sometimes modern Christians so hang on to the grace of God, which is absolutely true, that they become presumptuous about the forgiveness of their sins. And we miss the part about grace that sees that grace, yes, it's forgiveness, yes, it's eternity in heaven, but grace is an invitation 
into a relationship with God first on earth, then in heaven. And so if we want God to cooperate with us, wouldn't it make sense that we eliminate what it is in our life that separates us from him? It operates like any other relationship. How many of you have a wife, a fiance, a girlfriend, boyfriend, and when you act ugly toward them, the relationship goes just fine. No relationship operates that way. Goodness, we've been married 35 years. I'm, I think I apologize more now than before. Maybe I'm getting wiser. But the same is true of God. We're not, we're not manipulating God. What we're doing is we're honoring a relationship with God. And so that which we've allowed, practices we've indulged that separate us from God, also rob us of strength, destroy our intimacy, and then we wonder why God didn't deliver. Because there may be something to deal with first. So what is it in your life today that prevents you from following closely to God? I find that people that have a certain situation in their life that they know is wrong, I find that they want to keep God at arm's length. Whether it be not going to church, not going to small group. They, they claim their salvation, but they don't want to get around Christians or really get anywhere that the spirit of God seems to really be moving. Because it makes them miserable. Makes them miserable. Verse 6. In the morning, Joshua said to the priests, lift up the Ark of the Covenant on the acacia poles and lead the people across the river. And so they started out and went ahead of the people. You know that challenge that I asked you to think about when we started? God's ahead of you. And when you go toward to engage this problem, God's already there ahead of you. He's waiting on you to show up. Verse seven, the Lord told Joshua, today I will begin to make you a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. They will know that I am with you just as I, as I was with Moses. See, the people would know, it would be confirmed that Joshua really was the rightful follower to lead the people in succession of Moses because they would see that, that God worked cooperatively with Joshua. And when Joshua spoke the words from God, God acted on them. So, so God would confirm the call of this man because of what he will do with the people. Verse eight, give this command to the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop there. How many men you think carried it? Four? We, we think four usually. 
We usually think like this, right? But it could have been two. I didn't even know he was Jewish. They, that movie, in that movie, they actually did a very good job of representing the Ark of the Covenant. Joshua obeyed God. He instructed the priest to walk into the, this is a raging river. That's what happens when a river is flooding. We have a creek behind our house. It was flooding this morning. The, the water speeds up. And so this would have been a raging river. And these men are being told to take the Ark of the Covenant. Remember, it was gold on the inside and the outside. So do you think it was heavy? Even for four men. The Ark of the Covenant is the presence of God, not a symbol of the actual presence of God touched there. This was Israel's most precious possession that they were carrying on their shoulders. How would you have liked to have been one of those Kohathites carrying that? God didn't act until the priests followed his directions, the directions that they received from Joshua. But think about it. Now, you're one of these, you're one of these priests, and you're walking into the river, holding the ark, very heavy. How would you feel? Scared. You would, you'd probably be praying, Lord, don't let me slip. But imagine, you ever walked into a riverbed? Slick, muddy. Would you see all the rocks, the boulders underneath? Because remember, the water hasn't gone back yet. It's still raging. Anybody in here ever duck hunted? A few. The risk of duck hunting is what? Fault tripping over a log you don't see and falling into the freezing water because you hunt ducks in the winter. The last time I've duck hunted, we broke the ice going in and I fell over a log going in. So that water was all in my waders for the whole morning. I climbed a tree and burned all my shells to make the other guys mad so we could go home. But but this was risky. This was risky. What are you doing? How are you serving God? How are you carrying him forward in a way that's risky? What are you doing in your faith life that's risky? I think they were praying. Has God given you a promise? You know it. You have an assignment. How many of you think you have an assignment from God? Clearly. Let me see them. Put them up a little bit higher. I want you to put them up because I want you to see those hands. But you might be hesitant to take a step 
because it is very risky, very risky. But it's more risky not to follow. Follow God's instruction fully. Count on him to deal with the dangers. Another requirement for facing a challenge is to respond with action. Verse nine. So Joshua told the Israelites, come and listen to what the Lord your God says. Today you will know that the living God, not an idol, not an image, a living spirit being is among you. He will drive out the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Parasites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites ahead of you. Look, the Ark of the Covenant, which belongs to the Lord of the whole earth. You know, it's politically correct to say all faiths are equal. They're not. I mean, you want to be respectful and kind of people, but they're not. Jehovah God, Yahweh, is the Lord of the whole earth. And he will lead you across the Jordan River. Now choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe, so all were represented. The priest will carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. As soon as their feet touch the water, but that's, remember, there were, there was two on the front, two on the back. So you want to at least try to be grabbing for the back. <laughs> as soon as their feet touch the water, the flow of water will be cut off upstream and the river will stand up like a wall. So this description parallels the parting of the Red Sea somewhat. Though the Red Sea, it appears to say they could see the walls on the left and the right. Here is different. It says that the, the flow was stopped upstream, miles away actually, out of sight. Verse 14, so the people left their camp to cross the Jordan and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It was the harvest season and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. The research that I said said that usually the Jordan River was 100 feet wide. But the spring rains and the snow melt from Mount Hermon caused it to overspill its banks and become a mile wide, up to 10 feet deep, flowing rapidly. And I can tell you from personal experience, very cold, very cold. But as soon as the feet of the priest who were carrying the ark touched the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away. So understand, it, it didn't immediately go dry. The water stopped flowing out of sight and it took a while for it to drain away underneath their feet. Because it backed up a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near Zarethan. And the water below that point flowed on to the Dead Sea, also called the Sea of Araba or the Salt Sea, which is the lowest point on the earth, the Dead Sea is, until 
the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. You can see on this map, Adam is quite distant from Jericho. Quite a good bit, out of, far out of sight. So the people had to walk by faith into the place where the raging river had recently been. Now, I was thinking about those people. It may have been easier for some that had weak faith because they couldn't see the wall of water. It was less risky. Whereas if they're just staring at it, that movie, The Ten Commandments, you can see fish in it and stuff like that. But also I think there were so many people in this crowd, some people didn't even have to have personal faith. They just went along with the crowd. Everybody else was moving that way. They just got in line. Now they did have to move and they were running risk. But it wasn't that they internalized it as much as they just went with the pack. I think Christianity in America used to be that way. You could just go along with the crowd. Go to church occasionally, sort of moderate some of the way you spoke or the way you acted in public. People wouldn't really know because the culture was largely pretty respectful of faith and behavior was moderated. Don't you think that's true? That isn't true anymore. Today, if you take a biblical standard on things, you say sex is for marriage and marriage is for a man and a woman, you can actually be attacked. Whereas no one ever challenged that when we were, goodness, even in college. But our culture's changed. So you really can't count on the crowd carrying you along, setting your morality, deciding how you behave. You may have to walk by faith and sometimes you will do it alone. And other times it may be with opposition. Can you do it? Can you walk by faith alone in the face of opposition? It's risky. That's right, it's risky. Verse 17. Meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the ark of the Lord's covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as the people passed by. They waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Now, I've heard some of you complain on getting out of the parking lot here <laughs> at Easter. It's interesting to me, though, those of you that go to those um, Clemson or Carolina games, you don't ever complain about getting out of the parking lot. But... But imagine how long it would have taken 
for all of Israel to walk by. Scholars estimate that this number was between 500,000 to over a million. And you're standing there holding up a very heavy ark containing the presence of God. Sound risky? You say, boy, I'm glad I'm not holding that thing. You get tired. You think, God, don't let me drop this. Please don't let me drop this. But they stood there and they continued by trusting God. You know, the challenge you're facing, is it progressing very slowly? Are you ready to give up or have you given up? You know, in my experience, God never works quickly. Never has he worked quickly. Because God is committed to deliverance, but also to development. And so God's developing your and my ability to endure by faith in very painful delays. Are you in agony now? Graham turns two years old this month. And we walk by faith. But the ark's heavy. An additional requirement for facing a challenge is to remember God's works. Joshua chapter four, verse one. When all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, now choose 12 men, one from each tribe, all represented. Tell them, take 12 stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan and carry them out and pile them up at the place you will camp tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had chosen, one from each of the tribes of Israel. Would you have hidden when he's choosing? And he told them, go into the middle of the Jordan in front of the ark of the Lord your God. Each of you must pick up one stone, carry it, carry it out on your shoulder, 12 stones in all, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And we will use these stones to build a memorial. So these men picked up stones from the middle of the river. They knew they were gonna be used to build a memorial stacked on top of each other to memorialize God holding back the water. What if you'd been one of those men? How big of a stone would you pick up? Would you have been one of those who said, well, Joshua, what did the dimensions have to be? Would you have been kicking the stones and turning them over and being sure the one you were picking up wasn't buried and it was huge? Would you be trying to pick up the lightest one you could find? Because it's a half mile to the shore and then you've got to climb up out of the bank and you don't know where he's going to take you to camp. You might be carrying this thing for miles. Are you looking for the smallest one you can find? Are you looking for the lightest stone 
let the other guys carry something? Or are you saying I'm picking up the biggest stone I can manage and I'm asking God to strengthen me when the size overwhelms me? Verse nine. Joshua also set up another pile of 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan at the place where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing and they are there today. Now it doesn't say that God told Joshua to, to build a memorial in the middle, but we assume that he did. Why'd they put it in the middle of the river? Who could see it? Only God. So why? Why in the middle of the river? God can see it, okay, sure. But the people would remember it. See, your life is controlled not by what you see, but what you know. What you have experienced. You make your decisions today based on something you experienced far in the past. Verse 14. That day, the Lord made Joshua a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. Says this twice, doesn't he? And for the rest of his life, they revered him as much as they had revered Moses. See, here's the thing. People will recognize and remember when you exercise risky faith. Have you endured a health crisis? A sick child, suffering yourself, a broken relationship with, a, with a, your own, one of your own children, a broken marriage, a financial reversal. And you walked by faith. And people know it. And when they experience it, they'll slip around to find you. They may not do it publicly, but they'll slip around and say, hey, could, could I talk to you later? Not, not here, not here, but could we get together? Because you, you know something I don't know. You carried a big stone and I don't know if I can carry mine. I don't know if I'm strong enough. I don't know if I can walk that far with it. But you have. The Lord had said to Joshua, command the priests at verse 16. Carrying the Ark of the Covenant to come up out of the riverbed. So Joshua gave the command. As soon as the priest carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came up out of the riverbed, and their feet were on high ground. I told you they were down in a hole. It wasn't easy. It wasn't easy to carry the ark. It wasn't easy to carry the stones. The water of the Jordan returned and overflowed its banks as before. The people crossed 
the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. That was the day the Passover lamb was selected, Exodus 12. Then they camped at Gilgal. Gilgal was eight miles away. Well, that doesn't sound too bad. It does if you have a huge stone on your shoulder. It does if you're one of the four carrying the ark. Just east of Jericho, it was there at Gilgal that Joshua piled up the 12 stones taken from the Jordan River. Then Joshua said to the Israelites, in the future, your children will ask, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them, this is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Not in mud, he dried it. For the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes. And he kept it dry until you were all across. Just as he did at the Red Sea when he dried it up until we had all crossed over. He did this so that all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful. And so you might fear the Lord your God. Then they could add, and you know what? There's another memorial set of stones in the middle of the river. Let me tell you about that. You all know this from Hebrews 11. Faith is the evidence of things we cannot see. There are memorials in our memories of God's great deliverances. And it's those experiences that reside not tangibly, not practically, only in your memories. But it was an experience you actually had and it's etched itself into your life. It's shaped your soul. It's enabled you to face what's coming. And it's that experience that builds your ability to trust God when you reach the next flooded river. It's helpful to have visible memories of God's faithfulness. To remind us of God's work in the past. Nothing wrong with that. And especially if you, if you have something in your home like that, a, a, a photograph, a picture, a drawing, a rock. But use the opportunity to share the story to those that weren't there, to your children, to your friends, to people that come in your house and they say, what is that? Let me tell you, let me tell you. You know, we have a memorial, our baptistry is a memorial. Some of you know this story. And it, at first it's a memorial that we are baptized into Christ by the Holy Spirit. We, we say that we're buried in Christ, our sins are forgiven, we're raised in newness of life. And so that's a, a tangible, physical memorial to being born again, regenerated. But you know what? It's another memorial. Some of you remember this. Mike, you remember it. You were there. It was also a memorial to us joining together and building a church collectively. These stones have a story. We outgrew the building on, on Highway 14 we had to move 
We had banquets February of 2003. In that banquet, I drove a skid steer like a bobcat into the auditorium with the bucket raised. And on every table were these stones. And I said, if you will do your part, line up and put your stone in the bucket. Some people wrote their names on those stones. They're probably still there if they can find them. That's not all of them, but it's representative of all of them. We were a church, when we started this church, goodness, 29 years ago now, over 29, there was no church in the upstate of this fashion. There are many churches today, not then. So it took faith to even show up. And it took faith to continue. And it took faith for people to pledge money. And God delivered and we're here today. This building was dedicated October 17th of 2004. It's a memorial to the faithfulness of God, but it's a memorial to the faithfulness of everyone that participated and said, I'm gonna carry my stone by writing this check. What stone are you carrying today? God will help you. You only have to take one more step. You don't have to go ahead and look for the high ground. You just take one more step with that heavy stone. Do you have a memorial that reminds you of God's faithfulness? A tangible picture, an object, a memory of a place where God spoke. If you do, the reason you have it is to tell others, is to tell others. Care volunteers will be here. You say, you know, I'm, I don't know that I can carry this. They'll pray for you. We'll ask God's spirit to help lift. They'll be here. They'll anoint with oil for healing. You know, if you say, you know what, I, I want to I start doing my part. I want to carry my stone and I want it to be here. We have membership class in this room at 3 p.m., you can come. Next Sunday, we, have a, we, we participate in another memorial. We'll have the Lord's Supper. Father, I pray you would guide us. You would direct us, Lord. You would not let us be afraid to pick up a stone, to build a memorial to you in our lives, in our homes, in our families, in our community. God, may we be a people who live by faith and spread that faith. Go before us, follow behind us, give us courage to face the opposition, give us strength to complete the task. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us for the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. This week, think of several defining moments in your life, like times God showed his power when he was guiding you in a very clear way. You might want to go through some of your albums that you have, cards and keepsakes to help you recall what happened. Engage your heart in gratitude for each of these moments and allow the joy of these memories to deepen your intimacy with God and overflow in the conversations for this week. Here is this week's memory verse. It's Psalm 32 and verse 8. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. 
Coming up on next week's episode, we'll continue the series in Joshua, Promises and Power. To prepare, read Joshua chapter 5. Thanks for listening and have a great week.